welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire, Mike Leno, and Evan Ginsberg back again this week. Thank you so much for joining us this week, uh, Evan, and, and always great to have you, Mike. So, what have we got on the table for tonight? Well, well I, I want to throw something out because I, I didn't mean to interrupt Evan, because we are starting this thing of... Uh, maybe having a more condensed, action-packed show, but Russ uh, lost his father, and we he wanted to talk about how wrestling brought many, many people together with their fathers, and it's also Halloween upcoming, and a lot of great memories, uh, you know, like probably kids from the 80s uh, going out with their dads dressed up as Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior or Undertaker, stuff like that, so uh, maybe well, there's... Well, it's interesting you say that, Mike, because... Wrestling did not bring me closer to my father. And that's actually one of the subjects that I did want to talk about tonight, which is that, you know, wrestling families don't always get along. And sometimes they leave something to be desired. And in my case, my dad never saw me perform as Buddy Sotelo. It's one of the great heartaches of my of my life is that my dad never saw me perform. My dad... My dad did die on Tuesday, Alan Jackman. He was a, a doctor, and and he did love wrestling as a kid. He was a fan of Antonino Rocco, and he grew up in New York and saw matches at Madison Square Garden and saw Gorgeous George and, 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 and so forth. But in his mind, he grew out of it when he moved to California and and became a doctor, and and he always felt wrestling was beneath him, and he thought wrestling should have been beneath me. Um, but wait, so I, didn't save the programs, the programs that would be worth a lot of money now, and no, it'd be fun for us. No, to in fact, in fact, one of the things that my dad did, was, or actually my grandmother, even though bless her soul, uh, my dad had collected a ton of baseball cards including the Honus Wagner one and, and, and Babe Ruth, original Babe Ruth cards. Plus, he had comic books like Action Comics number one, uh, 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 the Amazing Fantasy number 15 with Spider-Man's first appearance. When he went to, to college, my grandmother, big dumpster, all of it in the dumpster, gone. All good move, good move. We don't like clutter here. Wait a minute, that action wrestling number one, the first Superman from yes. whatever year in the 30s it was. Yes. Is, how, what is it worth now? Oh, I mean, about $300,000. About $300,000. And the Honus Wagner card, depending on the condition of 1. it. $1.3 million. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons is because that's exactly what happened. So many people... You know, when they went to college or whatever, they left home. Mothers put all that stuff in a dumpster, you know, lit the match, and that was the end of that. That's why they're so collectible, because they all got destroyed when people thought they weren't worth anything. And to that extent, I learned from my father. I have a comic book collection that is several thousand comics large. I have never sold a single comic in my entire life. And they're all going to my kids. And they are worth quite a bit of money. You know, granted, they're not Action Comics number one. But, like, for instance, I decided because I liked them at the time, I bought up all the Guardians of the Galaxy appearance. 
I didn't know they would, in 1985, they were going to wind up making a major movie franchise out of them. You know, and that that's the other thing. My dad was a big stamp collector, so he felt stamps were the thing that was going to be, you know, worth millions of dollars over time. And now nobody collects stamps anymore, so we'll see what those are all worth. But getting back to something, there's coins to my stepfather, actually, when he... Uh, split from my mom took my coin collection and I had a 1955 SBDB uh, it's probably worth many thousands that he took and a lot of uh, steel pennies from World War II you know things like that so all of our parents did that kind of thing when you talk about comics though because I am trying to get you know maybe Tony Schiavone to do a couple of minutes he's got the uh, butts in seats comic.com sort of a graphic novel on his life in wrestling that's uh, coming on. And this one was unique. It was crowdsourced, I guess, to get it off the ground. Who needs that much money? And that brings me to talking about crowdsourcing. You guys have to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, the new season. First episode started last night. That was a near-perfect episode, and it made fun of crowdsourcing and many other things. Hoarding of Albert Brooks, hoarding hand sanitizer and toilet paper and all this stuff. He becomes the heel at his own party when Larry opens, looking for the bathroom, opens the closet door and everybody at the party, like a hundred people see all of this stuff that Albert Brooks had hoarded. Even his uh, new girlfriend leaves him. Evan, your thoughts? (laughs) Um, I think hoarding is very selfish. I mean, how much toilet paper do you need? (laughs) It's like... Every a couple of weeks, there's something new. Uh, it's a little off topic of fathers. We can get right back to that. But uh, where I am, you know, now it's toys, it's Q-tips, it's Haagen-Dazs and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. There's all kinds of things being hoarded. And those areas of all these different supermarkets, you know, Vons, which is the equivalent of Safeway, uh, where Russ lives, etc., Albertsons, Lucky's, all of these things. there's empty aisles again, like last year during COVID. Nobody wants hand sanitizer now, but it's all of these other things. And obviously paper towels and, and, you know, rubbing alcohol and witch hazel and and crazy stuff. Apparently there's, 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 there's boats full of all this stuff sitting in the docks and nobody wants to, to work to, uh, to pull all the stuff off. The docks and everything. So well, the docks are full, at least down here. I don't know about. Uh, it's more of a dock town up there in Northern California, and and here you have schmuck of Florida. That governor, you know, is acting like, oh well, if California can't handle it, the West Coast can't handle it. I'll open up my ports. You know, he won't let anybody get vaccinated. Won't enforce masking. But you know, whatever. Until the- they all drop, they all drop dead on the docks from COVID. But, but. Uh, Getting back to 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 uh, my dad and and just you know there's something about wrestling and families. I mean there 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 it's it's either something that is a cr- tremendous bond or it's something that really tears people apart. I mean you look at wrestling, you look at a lot of the wrestling families that are out there. I mean it's a strong thing. In fact, I just watched episodes five, four and five of Heels and the family message and the family element is a gigantic part of that show. And they really, the fact that those, the two main characters are brothers. That's what I said, I liked it. So let me ask both of you guys, I don't know if Evan has watched. Evan hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it. 
Have, have you? Okay, I, I think it sounds like Race to the Movie. Let, let me throw out uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Have you guys been watching those? For the most part, not every episode. I haven't watched anything since the uh, Plane Ride from Hell. I'm, I'm, I'm. Hey, not but you have to watch uh, Canyon, Luna Vachon, XPW, the Onita oh. FW. I'm in the credits, photos, and and helping them with. Uh, uh, history and all of that stuff, particularly uh, the Luna thing, where I had a million shots. XP. I know I should see that uh, Luna Vachon. I cared so much about. I'm I'm still heartbroken that she's gone. She was a really them. sweet person. You know, did a lot of stuff like Sherry, who was another one I'd get two a.m. calls from. Evan might have as well, but I miss both Sherry Martell, Angel Luna Vachon, Gertie Gertrude was a real biological name. You know, no wonder she changed it, but she was sweet person but these shows are good heels uh there is the whole family's involved um the only trouble and i've been trying to get the two of the leads Stephen amell who was in was he in green hornet or flash one of those on the cw he was good. in the green arrow the green oh. arrow arrow good friends with cody and cm punk and the young bucks and he's had cm punk on the show and quite a few other wrestlers like another guy luke cox who I knew as Alter Boy Luke and, and some other roles in XPW, trying to get him for the show. But I have a hard time sometimes with the Stephen Amell character and some of them doing that Georgia accent. When they talk softly, they mumble. I, I got the volume cranked up. I still can't make out what they're you saying. You need subtitles. But, yeah. but Evan, you had a very different relationship with your father and wrestling than I had with mine. Can you tell the fans a little bit? Because like, you're you're going to be talking about it in your book, too. So Yeah, my father was a all-city basketball player. And uh, he played for Curtis High School. He played at Madison Square Garden, the old garden. Um, and he loved basketball. And he would take me to see the uh, 69 and 73 Knicks, the world champion Knicks. And it was electric. I mean, electric. And um, so at some point I said, Dad, would you take me to wrestling? And he wasn't particularly a fan, but it was something he did for his son. And we would watch on TV together um, the L.A. show, and he loved John Tolis, and he found him hilarious. And he loved when S.D. Jones would inevitably run into the turnbuckle, clunk, clunk, clunk his head, and be looking at the lights two, two seconds later. He thought that was amusing. My father was a funny guy, and he saw the humor in wrestling, but it wasn't to him as exciting as watching the Knicks. So, to make a long story short, June 24, 1974, he takes me to the garden. Uh, you know, I'm a kid, and the main event is Blassie and Nikolai against Bruno and Strongbow with the Valiants against Dean Ho and Tony Gurria as the co-feature. <laughs> and my father was, was like a total mock, like me and everybody else in the building, because it was great. It was just great. And, and you didn't know Nikolai Volkov then? You didn't have No, your... no, of course. I was a kid. So, um, so to make a long story short, the next month, it was Bruno against Tolis, and he loved Tolis, my dad. So, so we were just hooked. And basically, from 74 
to when he died in 1980, we pretty much went every month to the garden, the Coliseum, Westchester County Center, Sunnyside Gardens. We did the whole circuit. And I loved it more than him, but he enjoyed it. He, he thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was just something a kid, you know, did with his dad. And a dad wanted to make his kid happy because he never broke 25,000. He didn't, you know, it was, it was pretty much a choice. Do you want to go to the Knicks or you want to go to wrestling? Because he didn't have like limitless money to do both. And um, most of the time we ended up going to wrestling for me. And um, when he got sick with cancer, I'll never forget, I'm sitting there, you know, we went with some other friends also at the time and it was Backlund against Pat Patterson and my dad was sick. And I was like, man, dad would have liked this, dad would have liked this. And a few months later he was dead. So, uh, you know, he died in 1980. But, um, yeah, some of my greatest childhood memories was going to wrestling with my father. And uh, Let me ask you, what were ticket prices? And did I'll did, tell you exactly. I'll tell you exactly. We, Like I said, we were blue collar. We didn't have a lot of money. In 74, it was 3 to $6 a ticket at the Garden. Uh-huh. And then, then, late 70s, it went to 4 to 7 and everybody was upset. Because that was like a financial hardship, you know, that it went up a dollar, you know. Really, it was a different time before the greed kicked in. And, you know, basically it was Bruno or Billy Graham or Ivan Koloff walking to the ring in a pair of tights. No music, no pyro, no bullshit. And the building would shake. And it was a blue-collar audience. You had the Polish strongman. The Puerto Rican champion, Pedro, the Italian strongman, Bruno, you had the black wrestlers. It was really an ethnic blue collar thing. And, you know, my father was a blue collar guy. My whole family was. So um, so not to belabor the point, but some of my greatest memories going to wrestling with my father. Let me just ask follow up really quick. When you'd go to the Westchester Center or Nassau Coliseum or some of the other venues, I don't know if you went to Sunnyside Gardens. Yeah, or Sunnyside was right. Yeah, close. Yeah. Did the wrestlers work any less hard or a little bit slower as opposed no, to no. or they work the same? Not at, not at all. We, at but, Sunnyside Gardens, they had the executioners against Strongbow and White Wolf. They went 45 minutes, two out of three falls. Kowalski's got a mask on. He's like 50 years old at the time. The, the guy is like, like a machine. Like he didn't stop. I mean, and and we were dying in the audience. It was August. There was no air conditioner, air conditioning. He's going 45 minutes with a mask on. Wow. You know? Wow. And, uh, no, these guys but went all out. you guys, it's John Studd. He, Kowalski, when he came in for us right. as a killer eel in L.A., January 72, he stayed till about July. But he discovered, trained, and broke in John Minton as a jobber. And he had a number of his TV matches with John Minton, who would later become Big John Stud. But he was called the Mighty Minton on TV. And I go, who is this skinny, tall, bleach, blonde-haired guy? And put on would, some weight. Put on some weight. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, uh, and so what about yourself, Mike? What about your, your, your father? And what was... 
when well, he I was raised out. pretty much thankfully by my grandparents uh, and my grandfather went to to wrestling and the last time I got him to go you know it really wasn't his thing he would go to humor me but I surprised him because this was a tournament match in uh, like January February early February of 1973 on top the Sheik against Victor Rivera which a typical Sheik match but the opening match, they had some tournament to determine the number one contender. And the opening match was a 10-minute Broadway, Jack Briscoe against Terry Funk. And he went out of his mind. He loved that. Because those guys, we hadn't seen their legs before. Briscoe was debuting. It was the first time he was ever in California. And um, and Terry Funk was as good as it got. And uh, that was a really one of the end of the golden periods for a while for L.A., but that match, 10-minute Broadway, those guys going all out and just, oh, that was, uh, so he kind of got re-into re it then. And, and that was good to uh, uh, to see that happen for him. You know, because he, he, like a lot of my family, or I was raised with Richard Dawson, the game show host. But before that, he was on Hogan's Heroes and Laugh-In and Match Game, of course. And, and was, Running Man. Later on, but he was a stand-up comic in England when he met and married the so-called Marilyn Monroe of the UK, Diana Doors, and had Mark and Gary. But uh, so he uh, and uh, Richard Dawson and uh, his estranged wife, they were divorced. Diana, everybody, my mom, my grandparents would tell me, oh, this wrestling big waste of time. What are you wasting your time for? And Mark, for a couple of years, dated and lived with Marky Post, who just died a couple of months yes. ago. Yes. In uh, Night Court. I had uh, a TV for, crush on her, for sure. What she did was help. We were all just sitting in Richard Dawson's pool and coming up with questions and then the survey answers. So mm. I hate to burst a lot of bubbles when they'd say they interviewed 50 or 100 people. No, it was just us in the pool giving our ah. answers. Marky was amongst them. And she and Mark, I couldn't go because I was already starting college at USC. I couldn't go with Richard's annual trip to Oahu and he would take everybody. And so Marky and went with Mark and Gary and Richard and the nanny, uh, Amy Baker, and asked... Uh, so Marky Post asked me to watch her place. It was a, a right on the Sunset Strip. The, the street was parallel to Sunset Boulevard, but above the Tower Records, the historic. It was a historic. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so I watched her place for about two and a half weeks. And um, so I, yeah, I was a little bummed. She was a real go-getter. She, uh, at the end, Mark felt that she was just using him to get to her dad, to get her an agent and get her into acting. And that's what happened. And she left. And uh, I thought she was, you know, I, I see all these tributes. Somebody dies and I go, Jesus, she, uh, most people were calling her the B word and a user and all of that back in the 70s. So maybe she mellowed out, became a better person as she became an adult. But she was a couple years older than Mark at the time. But, you know, I, I had that weird funny hollywood connection lots of stories i was just watching uh, north by northwest on tcm james mason is the lead heel of that and we got to stay when diana doors came out uh one of her big trips she was able to use uh james and pamela mason's house for three weeks so we got to sleep in james mason's house i'm watching that and i should say too that uh uh on dancing with the stars the miz does uh, we're 
going to wish everybody a happy Halloween. He uh, was dancing with his partner. They were both were portraying with great makeup Pinhead from Hellraiser. So I wanted to throw out maybe with your your families, what did you guys perhaps watch horror movies or do some cool Halloween stuff, Evan and, and Russ? That's an interesting point. My father's birthday is Halloween. Oh. And so he was always kind of bummed that we would always want to go trick-or-treating instead of having a party with him. And so his his birthday parties were always Halloween theme based. And I would always dress up as a wrestler. My 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 uh, costume hasn't changed in in over 30 years. I'm I'm always the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, you know, I keep collecting things from my time in the ring and I just add them to my outfit, so it just keeps getting more deluxe. But uh, uh, what about you, Evan? You managed. You were just like, sort of like uh, I don't know if it was a suit, but you look like a business guy. Right, but I've got I've got a mask from uh, that 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 I've used for my wrestlers in the ring. Because I don't know if you you it's a little different when you're talent. But maybe this ever happened with you, Evan? I have I'm a manager before you were born. So well, I've got a a duffel bag that I carry with me to every show. In the duffel bag are knee pads, elbow pads, couple of wrestling masks, a ref shirt, um, uh, those those like uh, weightlifting gloves, um, and, and um, uh, a couple of rolls of electrical tape. Because inevitably, you're going to wind up and oh, I had to add shoelaces to that because one time I was working with Hawkeye Shane Cody and he said, I'm all gimmicked up. I can't tie my shoelaces, you know, because he had like this big heavy trench coat on and all that and getting over. So I went to tie his boots right before the show. This is the glory of being a wrestling manager. You get to tie your your wrestlers boots. You know, that's one of the one of the jobs you get. And as soon as I grabbed the, the, the boots, the laces broke. And so he had to wrestle the show without laces. Without Point of reference, Shane Cody was Woody Farmer's son. Correct. Farmer, great guy, wrestler. And a lot of people don't know, Evan knows this, the first championship Shawn Michaels won was in Kansas City with Woody Farmer as a tag champ before he ever was paired with Marty Jannetty later on. That I did not know, but thank yeah. you for the, the trivia point. And another father-son combination that, you know, uh, I actually shot what we called, I gave them the name Three Generations and then did local newspaper articles in the in my column, separate from my column, the San Francisco Examiner, the Oakland Tribune, uh, what we called Three Generations. So it was Woody, his son, Shane Cody, Rex, and Shane's son, who had a weird-looking mohawk, I forget his name. And so that was the first time ever that... Riot. Father, father. He's going. He's going to the the the, uh, the ring as riot. But he never made it. Is is uh, Shane's son never really made it in the business? Oh, I want to throw this out too. Speaking of horror movies, I'd never seen this before, and it was a hoot on TCM. The movie is called Straight Jacket. Maybe Evan knows with Joan Crawford, and it involves like a a mask. You know, her daughter turns out to be the heel that did all of the hatchet killing, and her mother did time for it, meaning Joan Crawford. But at the end, you see both Joan Crawford's holding a mask that looks exactly like her, a latex mask. 
it's got to be one of the goriest, goofiest movies. It was, you know, like second to the last movie she ever did from 64 or 65. You guys have to look it up for Halloween. It's a Evan isn't over the regular Halloween uh, sequels that he's had to watch recently, right? Yeah, I, I thought Halloween Kills was awful, awful. Did you see it, Mike? Uh, when you told me it sucked, I, I kind of lost interest. I've seen too many of them. I enjoyed the originals where you had to use your imagination. It was the original. The other, the, the other Halloween, other Halloween two is terrible. <laughs> Halloween three has nothing to do with Michael Myers. Well, let me ask you guys your, before I have to go in a couple of minutes. Your favorite or scariest movies: uh, Exorcist, Aliens, and uh, The Shining are amongst my tops. Probably The Exorcist because the subject matter. And I think I told you guys, watch that movie the night it opened, the day after Christmas, since it was at 73. It was pouring rain. I went with the Dawson kids, and we had some dates. And we were soaking wet, standing in the line to get into the Bruin Theater near Westwood. Had no idea what the subject matter was. I didn't even know what an exorcism or exorcist was. And we were jumping out of our seats. Evan? Um, I love Dawn of the Dead, George Romero, and uh, the original Halloween. Those are my two favorites. Uh, Which Dawn of the Dead, though, because he did the original in, what, 67, 68, and then there was one in 76 that when he came That's back. That's Night of the Living Dead is the original one. And then right. Dawn of the Dead is the shopping mall. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead was people were jumping out of their seats. People were cheering in the theater. That Halloween. was the one where the helicopter blade cuts the zombie's head off, right? Yeah, people talked about that for... My mom would not let me see it for years and years and years. I had to eventually see it on videotape because because of that head-chopping scene. Uh, um, what about the, Todd Browning's Freaks, the director who did Dragon? Yeah, Freaks. wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, scary. I, um, I want to recommend a new horror film. It's called The Vigil, and I've never seen anything like this. Mm. It's, based on, it's based on Jewish mysticism. And it's shot, it's shot in the Hasidic Borough Park, Brooklyn. And it's like done on pennies. And it's so great. I mean, it's unique. I've never seen a film like this. They, the, the guy is paid $400 to watch the dead Jewish guy's body for the night. It's a tradition. But there's a demon that wants, you know, to wreak havoc in this apartment in um, Borough Park, Brooklyn. It is so great, this film. And, and it's shockingly moving. You, it's moving. It's, there's, there's a lot to it. It's really um, a great, great film, The Vigil. And I, I never even heard of it. I just happened to see it on the shelf at the local library. And I started looking at the DVD box with the When reviews. did it come out? It came out in 2021, like totally under the radar. Oh, the wow. Vigil. Yeah. Oh, let me ask you guys if you've ever seen it's around 1974 with the actress who played uh, Lois Lane in the first two Christopher Reeves Supermans. Yes, it was called Sisters, where she played an you know like evil twins in wrestling, but she yeah, played yeah. a good twin and an evil twin, and that was a sick movie. It scared the pants off us at the time, and it just her portrayal. She was so good. I mean, she was. Great actress until she had her difficulties and stuff. So two, two scariest horror movies, or I'm not sure if you consider it a horror movie. I do think John Carpenter's Thing 
still stands up as scary, especially when they do the blood test thing and the 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 alien pops out of the they you know they put the 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 burning uh, 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 metal piece in the in the blood and they they put they put the one for the thing and the thing jumps out and that even though I know it's coming it still shocks the hell out of me. Um, but uh, uh, I had a friend growing up whose father was the head vice president of Dolby Labs. And they used to invite us in to see the sound editing of movies before they were even ready for release. So I was one of the first hundred human beings to ever see Star Wars because I saw it being edited in the sound laboratory while they were still cutting the, uh, splicing the sound in on it. But that's a different story for another time. They also invited us to go see this, this movie they were working on uh, called The Shining. And I had absolutely no idea what the movie was about. There would have been no previews, nothing. Had no, I hadn't even seen Jack Nicholson in anything because One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest was, you know, kind of before my time. So, you know, that was, uh, so, so that was a first time exposure to any of that stuff. And by the time I left that theater, I was like, it was, it was a, that was when I, I had no idea it was coming. I want to ask particularly Evan, uh, it's also a 70s movie, probably from around 74 that I caught on TCM. Uh, it Lives with a Killer Baby. This oh, baby. yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry Cohen. I love that one. The first yeah. one. The second one sucked, but the first one was great. Yeah. Yes. Larry, Larry Cohen did Q. Larry Cohen did Hell Up in Harlem and Black Caesar. Larry Cohen did some great stuff. He, he passed a, a few years back, but uh, oh. great B, you know, uh, director, producer, screenwriter. Yeah. So oh, and last thing before I go, yes. this thing with Charlotte and Becky, I'm hearing from inside the WWE, it's a work to get juices going for WrestleMania. They're supposed to have some legit heat and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like backstage. It was more backstage, not on camera. And, they weren't going, they were going off script. Well, I'm hearing allegedly that it's a work. So I will throw that out there. I, I got to you guys. I will see and talk to you guys next week. Thank okay, you so Mike. much, Mike. Good night, everybody. Okay. So I still wanted to talk to you for a few minutes, if you've got it. Sure. Uh, about wrestling and families, because I think, well, first of all, I wanted to throw in while I'm here two, two wrestling stories about my dad. One is a short one is that he did actually meet Andre the Giant. He was uh, in, Andre the Giant just so happened to be having dinner in San Francisco at Sears Fine Foods, which is right near my dad's office. My dad would often stop in there and get something to eat. And he said he saw Andre the Giant there. He didn't come up or say anything to him, but he said Andre was surrounded by every piece of food they had in the restaurant and was just one hand with the other and when one hand wasn't stuffing food in his mouth he was just drinking with this stein that he said was as big as his forearm he had a drinking stein that was as big as his forearm and apparently he cleaned out sears fine foods he just ate everything that they had to offer the second thing was that my dad was a huge garrison keeler fan um from uh lake wobegon days and and um after my mom had died, I moved in with my dad in, in Tiburon and, and uh, you know, we would talk about the issues of the day. And Garrison Keillor took a great offense 
to Jesse the Body Ventura running for governor of of Minnesota. And so that became a huge running bet between me and my dad for would Jesse the Body Ventura win as governorship for Minnesota or not. And my dad swore that would never happen, that there's no way people would be such suckers as to vote for a pro wrestler as governor. And of course, we know who won that bet. So I, I always lorded that over my dad when he would say he knew everything about politics. I'd say, yes, but you didn't know that Jesse the Body Ventura would become governor of Minnesota, did you? Yeah, that's and, and and so yeah, he was he was heartbroken and Garrison Keeler was all upset about it because he tried to push the uh Jesse Ventura's opponent. Um, I think it was uh, uh the grandson of uh, uh not Walter Mondale, I forgot. Uh uh, Warren G. Harding or something like that as as governor, and it didn't it didn't go through. So so my dad was always kind of bummed bummed about that. But he just he never wanted to see me perform. And my brother was an announcer for for Pro Wrestling Iron and for California Championship Wrestling. He never wanted to come out and see us. His girlfriend really convinced him that it was beneath him to to be seen at something like a pro wrestling match. And now the irony is that I would love to take my kids to a pro wrestling match, but A, there are barely any live performances that are going on here in the Bay Area, haven't been for a couple of years, and B, they're so crazily expensive, I could take them to like three baseball games, the same price that it would take for cost for me to take them to a pro wrestling show. Well, that was an indie show, and we don't have enough indie wrestling right here in this area for that to really happen. So my kids have been disconnected, not because I think it's beyond them or they wouldn't like a live performance, but it's become so rare and so difficult to see. But my kids see me watching it on TV and they don't, they just don't care. So maybe it skips a generation. I don't know. Um, another story is that I asked my dad, I said, you know, we love wrestling so much. My brother and I really do love it so much. And and my dad hated it, and my mom hated it, and 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 we were like saying, "Where did this come from?" And he said, and he sheepishly pointed his head down and said, "Your great grandmother, Granny Gelney, who you didn't really know because she was in her like late 80s when we were born, so she was like 90 when she died. We didn't really know her, but she's." They said she was one of the biggest wrestling fans in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. She used to go to every show that was at the Cow Palace and she would sit on the aisle and hit the wrestlers with her purse as they walked down. Number of the wrestlers knew who she was mm. because she was such a regular there and they kind of looked forward to getting hit by her purse. I mean, she wouldn't hit them hard. There was not, it wasn't a break in the purse or anything like that, but they would just, they, especially the heels, thought it would really make them look good by yeah. having an old granny, you know, go and, and say what an awful person they were as they were going to the ring. So my granny Gelney was just a, a, and she would have my uncle pour her half a glass of beer and she would sit there and drink half a glass of beer while watching the wrestling programs every every Saturday or every Sunday um, when in the Bay Area and then go to every live show that she could. So apparently, we didn't know that, but it just somehow wrestling may skip generations. So my kids don't care about it, but maybe their kids will be crazy wrestling fans. You never know. Yeah, it's possible. 
Um, but, you know, there's such a dynamic with wrestling and families. And sometimes it works out, you know, maybe like in the, the Dusty Rhodes sense, you know, he's had Dustin, you know, and he's had, had Cody, you know, make big names in wrestling. But then there's times it doesn't work out so well. Like, you know, the the the, uh, 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 the Von Erics I'm thinking about, you know. And the, and the Grahams, three generations of suicides. Yeah, and so, you know, and and I know you haven't watched Heels, but that's a real big, the, the you know, and I'm not trying to, to spoil it for you. You'd find out fast enough anyway that the, the father character in the show commits suicide at the very beginning of the show. So it's not a spoiler alert, but that, that is one of the dynamics and that there's so much of that that goes on in wrestling. And there's, you either have happy families or you have really bitter, you know, tumult that goes on. What are your what thoughts? I, what, I, what I've seen with wrestling, just being involved with indies in, in a variety of capacities, um, you know, I've, I've heel managed, I've called matches, I've been the publicist, et cetera, so on, is many times the promoters are consumed, consumed, and they'll burn through hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've seen it. I, you know, I'm talking, and I'm not talking rich guys. I'm talking guys who, you know, burned through their pensions, cashed it out early, and just did insane things because they're so caught up in it all and you know the guy in the other town who they hate that who's sabotaging them the rival promoter and you know guys you know back back in the eight back in the 90s you know the promoters would slash each other's tires and call you know call in uh, bomb scares and all kinds of crazy stuff i mean you know that um you know, and 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 in the process, lose vast amounts of money. So, um, yeah, I have a love hate relationship with wrestling myself at this point, having seen so many friends be physically, emotionally, financially destroyed by it uh, and buried early. But at the same time, I love the art of professional wrestling and. Uh, when you see a truly great match and you understand what you're watching, you know, these guys are artists. They're performance artists, they're actors, they're comedians, they're great athletes. You know, wrestle, wrestling is an art form and for uh, somebody to snub their nose at it, you know, I, I don't really appreciate that. I, as an educator, I shown teachers who snub their nose at it. I said, I said, do me a favor, just watch this for a few minutes. Give me your honest opinion. And I would bring in like Tiger Mask against Dynamite Kid. And, and they would sit there and like their mouths would hang open. This is great. I never saw anything like this. I thought everything was that stupid WWE on TV. You know, they didn't, they didn't realize, you know, that wrestling as an art is out there somewhere. And um, it's a long-winded way of saying even in 2021 i have a love-hate relationship with the whole thing but it's I, I always find there's an interesting dynamic between generations and wrestling that's kind of where i'm going to and in 350 days you touch on it not just a small amount where you have you know 
you talk to the children of professional wrestlers and it goes one of two ways. It's very few times do you go and we've had people, you know, second generation folks here and third generation folks on the show. And some of them are incredibly like the uh, 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 daughter of hero Matsuda. Matsuda. Yeah. yeah, she was, you know, is very embracing of her father and what he did in wrestling. And others we've seen wanted to keep their children away from wrestling and didn't want them to have any exposure and were, were afraid of, you know, being treated, you know, especially if they were heels, you know, they didn't want their kids to be booed and, and, and harassed in school and say, you know, your dad's a heel and, and, and all of that. And yet, you know, there, and, and heels does touch on that, that, that subject too. And it's, it's fascinating to me that there's people that want to stay in that business and see everything that their parent, their fathers, usually most of the time, rather than mothers, but usually fathers went through and missing things and being on the road and all that stuff. But the kids want to follow that or they're resentful of it and they're angry that wrestling took those years away from them and took them away from their birthdays and all of that stuff. And and for me, it's a very different sort of thing because I didn't have kids when I was managing. So I was not being taken away from anything when I was away every Saturday night or once a month I was away, you know, do it, you know, at these shows. So my kids never had to sacrifice anything, any contact with me in order for me to do my wrestling stuff. And my wrestling stuff is everywhere in my house. I, I've got posters and I've got signs and I do this podcast every week. So they know that I was involved in it, but it's not something that they say, they, they don't even bother to watch it. They don't even care that much. My kids are not, it's weird. I, I'm fascinated with choreographed violence. I am, that's just something that is a central part of who I am as a person. I love watching it, whether it's a Batman fight scene from the 1960s and it's, it's you know, Adam West and, 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 and some of the fakest fighting you'll ever see. Guys, you know, missing each other by 10 feet and still you get the bam and whap yeah. and all that stuff. To, you know, watching shoot fighting or MMA, you know, to me, that's also an art form and, and, and an amazing thing to watch and and I will watch you know fencing and I'll watch um, wrestling in the Olympics and I'll watch uh, the the Taekwondo and Jiu Jitsu in the Olympics and I myself was a martial artist for five years and took took that but my kids are totally nonviolent I mean they I mean they don't care about that sort of thing they've they've kind of live past that. And I wonder if maybe that's another thing that's going to change the dynamics of wrestling because there might be generations coming up where this kind of organized choreographed violence isn't as interesting to them as it was to us. Yeah, I mean, people move on as a society and the WWE is certainly stale. They have the same stars mostly for 15 years under contract and you know, if you can't make new stars and, you know, why is an eight-year-old going to look at some 35, 40-year-old guy as a hero? They want to relate to the guy, you know. So, um, 
But for I, kids, it was easy to relate to that cartoonish level of wrestling when they had, you know, the big boss man and they had, you know, and they had a tugboat and they had, you know, Hulk Hogan, but he wasn't a specific character, but but he himself was embodied what wrestling was about, you know, or or Andre the Giant, who you just look at and you just go, OK, of course, he's a professional wrestler. What else could he be? You yeah. know, uh, 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 and, and that now that everybody uses their first and last names, they, they don't have a specific character who they are. There's no as you had pointed out many times and I, I couldn't think you're, you're more correct is that there's no particular storyline that's compelling enough to make you care about whether somebody is fighting somebody in a particular week or not. And nobody lets a feud build up for more than like two weeks before they blow it off and then move on to somebody else and work against somebody else. And so there's just this sense that, that, that there isn't the storyline, and there is one, but it's a meandering one that doesn't get people involved and doesn't doesn't involve me so much. So I don't draw my kids into it and say, "Hey, kids, come watch," you know, the, uh, uh, the watch this match because you're gonna see an incredible feud blow off, and this will be an, a really wild match that that you'll want to watch. I don't pull my kids into that, and then they don't really feel it within me, so they don't feel the motivation to watch. The way that like I do with like a baseball game now or a football game or a basketball game that matters because the buildup like the Giants were just, you know, in the National League Championship against the Dodgers. So I, you know, gave my kids the whole history of the Giants, Dodgers going back, you know, with my family and my father, actually, who was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, but then learned to hate the Dodgers when they moved to Los Angeles, and then when he moved to San Francisco, there's the built-in rivalry between the, the Giants and the Dodgers. That sort of thing permeates the generations, and I'll make my kids into Dodger haters if it's the last thing that I do in my life. But but I don't feel that same thing with wrestling, like to bring them forwards and say, somewhere down the line, I will have them watch maybe like Rocky Three, so at least they can understand why Hulk Hogan was a celebrity. But they're going to see a lot of like Hulk Hogan growing up and kind of wonder why he was so famous, why he was such a big deal. And it's harder for me to explain that as I thought it would be to future generations. So I'm, yeah. I, that's kind of a weird dichotomy that I find myself at. With my father's passing, it sort of brings that home a little bit more and kind of reminds me of all this. But it's something I wish that we could have shared. It is something that that I wish I I mean I watched a lot of sports with my dad. It's not that we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. We did have quality time together, but it's a segment of my life that I'm proud of, but my dad never was. And there was no way I could ever convince him to appreciate the things that I did. When I told my dad and his girlfriend that, you know, I'm a professional wrestling manager. First, they were like, thinking that I was a professional wrestler, they're like, how do you not get beat up all the time? I'm like, no, 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 just run around the outside and, and molest people and, and molest the fans and, and get them all angry and stuff like that. And, and my dad's girlfriend said, well, why don't you become an actor, like a real actor, like Shakespearean yeah. type? I said, because I don't have any lines. I don't have to memorize any lines to do yeah. what I do. 
I do what I do because it's part of me. Being a professional wrestling manager was and still is part of who I am. I what one one friend described Buddy Sotelo as Buddy Sotelo is Russell Jackman turned up to number 11 on the volume knob. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to do and to have people react to it in the way that they would a fine Shakespearean actor. I'm able to do the same things that a Shakespearean actor is able to do, which is get people to suspend their belief. A good actor, that's all you want to do is to get your audience to believe that you want them to believe that you're a manager yeah. of wrestlers, that every day I'm taking calls from wrestlers and I'm working with wrestlers every day, and that is what I do all the time, and that I'm really Buddy tell, and I'm really from New York, and I'm really Italian. If I can make people believe that, then I've done the same thing that you do when you're Hamlet, you know? Yeah. And yeah. People aren't a Danish prince, you know? They're, you know, uh, uh, some 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 hobo from Hoboken, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that is saying, you know, uh, poor Yorick, I knew him well. But the, the fact that if you do it right and people believe it, as an actor, that does something within you and gives you that sense of connection to the audience and to the material that makes you want to do it again, even though you go through hell to make that happen. And I have traveled through rainstorms to the center of California, three hours. My dad was like, why are you doing this? You're not even getting paid for any of this stuff. And I said, because when I have the feeling of the audience within me and they are saying, you suck. And he's like, they hate you. Yeah. Why are you doing all this when uh, for all this, you're being hated? He's saying, because they're hating me the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're hating a character I've constructed on purpose to be hated. If they hated Russell Jackman, I would have been just crestfallen. But the fact that they hated Buddy Sotelo, a character I created to hate, is one of the great things in my lifetime. You know, it's one of the great things I'll look back on. And my dad never understood it. He never understood it. It was just so beyond where his mindset was as to what a dignified Jackman should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was tough. It was tough for me. My mom was gone well before I ever did wrestling. So I never had that conversation with her if I ever did something like that. Although I think my mom would have said, she always believed in me. She would have said, if it makes you happy, I'm happy. But my dad was never happy with me doing it. And and it's 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 hard. It's hard to to know he's gone and to know that he never saw me perform and that I entertained so many people, but I could never entertain my father through what I did. And that's always going to be a hole inside of my soul that never gets filled. But it's not going to change my involvement with pro wrestling. It's not going to change how I view my kids or trying to get them into the business or try to tell them what to watch or anything like that. And I know this isn't, for those of you who are watching, this isn't a, uh, a white hot piece of wrestling news or, or we're not talking about Charlotte Flair possibly moving to AEW or, or you know what next big angle is going to happen. 
I just sort of appreciate you being there for me to listen to this and to the rest of the people who are out there that are listening to this. Just understand, you know, maybe if there's something that you don't get, your parents don't get, and you don't get, but it's something that means something in your life, you should still do it because it means something to you. You don't always have to do things to make your family happy. You can do things to make yourself happy. And in the end, it's still the right thing to do. It's up to your parents to figure out if they can accept that or not within you. And uh, I don't have anything more to say about the topic unless you have anything you want to bring up yourself. Um, A lot of people have um, really tormented themselves trying to please their parents and... uh, if you can't, you know, please yourself, please yourself. I agree with you. And, um, you know, my scenario is almost the opposite. I mean, I, I know my father would have been proud of some of the things I've done and accomplished. And unfortunately he died when I was 20 and didn't get to see it. So it's a different set of issues and problems and loss and, um you write about that in your book don't you yeah uh, i have a hundred stories in my book uh wrestling rings blackboards and movie sets which will be out believe it or not my my um my production guy is 72 years old and he's a perfectionist and he's like this is your life's work and every single photo many from mike leno many from dave Brzezinski and others He's painstakingly made sure they look pristine and beautiful. Some of these are 50, 60-year-old wrestling pictures. And um, when this book comes out, it's going to be something very special. And if it takes a few more weeks or months, so be it. Um, I look at it as, you know, um, it's basically my life story and in, in 100 stories. And some of those stories involve my dad and many of the wrestlers who he saw with me at madison square garden who later became my friend and he would have been amazed by it just as my mother was my mother used to say to me my mother knew nikolai and my mother used to say with like this like shock and awe in her voice he's such a nice man he's such a nice because she would watch him on tv as this he was the biggest deal he and, and the Iron Sheik were the most hated wrestlers of their era. My mother, my mother grew up going with my grandfather to to, to uh, matches in Brooklyn, and she couldn't wrap, she could not wrap her head around the fact that Killer Kowalski was my friend because he was so vicious and evil in the ring, and and she's like, he writes poetry, he's a <laughs> photographer, like you know, it was like a total disconnect. And, um, you know, my mother knew Johnny Valiant and uh, loved Johnny. Saw him do comedy many times. Another wrestling family, too. Yeah. Had both ups and downs, you know, because of their their careers. You know, the the Valiant family, you know. Well, none of them are really related, the the Valiants. But um, they... um, I write about Jimmy Valiant in the book also, and I was going back and forth with him 
on instant messenger yesterday. He's pushing 80. And uh, I love Jimmy. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy has more charisma, no exaggeration. He has more charisma than the entire raw locker room. Well, uh, trust me, if you saw the valiance on top at Madison Square Garden, or even, you know, Jimmy as a face, the boogie woogie man in the 80s with the NWA, the charisma was off the charts. I mean, yeah, he uh, was. And the boy uh, from New York City. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this since we're talking about family. When my mother died, Nikolai called, Jimmy Valiant called, Johnny Valiant called, Lanny Poffo. I mean, and, and it really was a boost. It really was a boost to me because, you know, when your heroes become your friends and, and they care and, you know, one of the darkest days of your life, they're there for you. It really uh, meant a lot to me. And, um, you know, I find it very painful every year when Johnny's birthday and Nikolai's birthday or the day they die comes up on social media and you're still going, I can't believe they're gone. I can't believe they're gone, you know, and... Um, Wrestling creates an all different kind of family, but it does create one. You know, when you are involved like this, it's weird. And that's one of the reasons why I hope you eventually do watch Heels, because there is that dynamic there. They do touch on that. Oh, I'll, I'll watch it. Everybody recommends it. I, I've just... Um... Now that I'm five episodes into it, I think it is something you should see, because there is a lot of talk about... It's a deeper show than the first couple episodes. As you get further into it, they do really start hitting on things and I start going, oh yeah, I've seen that. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember when something like that happened to one of the guys. It's an amalgamation of so many stories that happen in indie wrestling and, 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 and indie stuff is a different thing than the WWE. People become more close and they become more dependent on each other because the stakes are so high and the the income is so low. You really indie, don't have any other reason to uh, be involved. The the indie wrestlers, um, some of them have lifelong bonds and others, the minute they walk away, they'll never hear from 95% of the people they work with. So it's a real extreme there. Either they're friends for life or... It's just gone. You're absolutely right. Just like me and Mark Smith, just like you and Tiger Khan, there's, there, there can be bonds that are created that even beyond death, they continue to be part of your life. And that's another subject for another time. We're at the end of the hour. I really, really appreciate you and Mike giving me a chance to sort of spotlight these things about my father. It, it really makes me feel better and is sort of a, a closure kind of thing for me to have this particular broadcast and to say these things about my dad. Uh, my my sincerest, sincerest condolence. And I'd like to um, dedicate the show to your grandmother who threw away 3.87 million worth of merchandise. <laughs> oh, Dubby, 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 Dubby. We would be, uh, my kid's college fund would be completely That's paid right. for with just one of those comics if we could have sold them. But I've kept mine, so I tried to learn a lesson. I tried to learn a lesson. Anyway, thank you so much. We'll see you next week and see everybody next week. Good night, everyone. <laughs>